I definitely was prepared this morning. I definitely didn't sprint from the back up here because I forgot that there was only one song. It definitely didn't happen. So, um, before, before we just start, I did want to make mention, I've been asked uh, for all of you who are going to Camp of the Hills, which leaves, I believe, a week from, this, a week from today, uh, Miss Shannon needs a few papers signed and filled out by students and parents or guardians. And so after worship, if you'll meet her at those tables back there, she'll get you all set up. But they're going to have a few things on uh, Camp of the Hills, need some things on their end. So we'll get that taken care of. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who've been a, a, a part of not just necessarily Cinco Ranch Church, but, but any, any church and been like a plugged in active member Um, You probably know what I'm talking about when I say that every church has what I'm going to call that guy or that girl. You guys know who I'm talking about? Don't look at the person if they're here. But every every church has that guy or that girl. And, And what I mean by this is people who have hearts of gold. Like they they really do mean well. They really do. And, um, and they want to serve, and they're really kind. They're also some of the most awkward people you have ever met in your life. If you don't know who I'm talking about, I got bad news for you. You might be that person, okay? It's nothing but love. But every, every church has these, all right? Every church does. Um, at a church I've worked at in the past, not this one, there was a guy who went up to me because at the time I was the young adults minister and he went up to me and he said, Casey, I need your help. I said, yeah, man, how can I help? What, what can I do to help you? He said, I need a wife. Okay. Um, I don't keep those in the back if that's what you're asking. So what, what do you, how would you like my help? Well, I was thinking maybe you could like set me up with, with somebody at church. I'm like, like a blind date. I mean, they're right over there. Like the girls are right there. If you, well, well, maybe. Um, I don't know. Just my parents keep telling me I need to settle down. And so I think it's time that I settle down. I said, how old are you? He said, 40. Okay. Um, yeah, if that's what you want, then, then I guess I can do that. And he references a girl that he was interested in, in picking up a relationship with who had just turned 21. And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know if that, I mean... You know, I'm not going to stop you from asking, but I guess that would be one. And, and I mean, and then for the next two weeks, he came to me every week. Did that girl ask about me? No, I'm sorry, man. She didn't. Um, and then two weeks after that, his parents came to me and said, have you found a wife for our son yet? And I said, apparently I'm failing at my job. No, I have not. I am so Sorry. And for the next like two years, this was my ministry to this person of he needed to find a wife. And I made it my job to say, you, you don't have to have one. Uh, that's not a requirement that you'll find in scripture anywhere. There are a number of people that, and if you've spent any time like in full-time ministry, you know some of these people that I'm talking about, whether it be 
kids or adults or young adults or, or older folks, whatever that might look like. And there's a number of awkward moments, but there's that guy and that girl. And again, great people. This guy who came to me looking for a wife, good guy, like heart of gold. The kind of guy who, who if, if someone needed something to eat, he would immediately take that person to a restaurant and get them something. Really does care. Just a little different. Just a little unique. The truth is, though, that church, when we think about that can be those difficult people to work with, at the same time, there are blessings about being a part of a church family, okay? Because I remember when uh, my grandfather died and I was seven years old and he lived in the northern part of Mississippi about three and a half hours away from where I had, uh, from where I grew up, three and a half hour drive away and, and kind of a smaller town in northern Mississippi. And I remember being there and it was kind of my first funeral at that point in my life. I didn't really know fully what was going on. It was a visitation, but nobody told me that. So I was just told to sit on the couch and I sat there for like four hours. I didn't know what was going on, but I still remember all these different people coming in. Well, it was people who knew my grandfather who lived in that city that I never lived in at any point in my life. So I didn't know any of these people. And I remember how special church family became when my mom's two best friends from the church I grew up at showed up at that visitation, who drove three and a half hours just to give a hug to my mom. And then shortly after that, two of the shepherds from that church who showed up to give a hug to my mom because she was in a state of mourning. She was in grief. And church family chose to enter into that suffering. There was something special about that, that they didn't have to do that. And, and the truth is, like now, with where I'm at in, in my life and my spiritual formation, I probably disagree with some of those people on some things doctrinally or theologically, but it, I don't care because I know they love my family. And that's something that's so special is if we were to poll the room about what our stances are on, on scripture, church, God, um, and, and any other sports, politics, uh, even the weather, we're going to have some disagreements. And the best part is, even though we disagree, we still love each other. There's a reason that when people are going to do funerals, they take a pass on doing it at the funeral parlor and do it at church instead. There's a reason that when it comes to getting married, people go out of their way to choose church instead of some other venue. Not that any of those are wrong, but there's something special about that place where family is. And how many of us, if we were to pull the room, could say that they have had a line of people waiting to bring them their favorite casserole whenever someone got sick or a family member passed away? Church family is a beautiful, beautiful thing. However, there's difficulties in church. A few months ago, we talked about church hurt because sometimes we get convinced that what we say is right, that what we think is correct and the other people we disagree with, they're just flat out wrong. And we will do whatever we need to do to prove that we are right and the other is wrong. And sometimes in an effort to prove that we say some hurtful things and sometimes those people say hurtful things to us. But that's just kind of scratching the surface, isn't it? Because if we look, and we don't have to look very far across, uh, not just 
churches of Christ, but, but any denomination at the fact that there are churches that now they're hearing about different church leaders who are embezzling or laundering money to put in their own pockets. That there's a number of different affairs and scandals that have happened with church leaders and other people within the leadership or just within the church. And there are thousands of people in our country right now who will probably be affected for the rest of their life because something inexcusable was done to them as a child. And so there's this messiness that exists. There's, there's this hurt that takes place. And I honestly think that's part of the reason that so many new church plants and new church startups, I think that's one of the reasons that so many of them are saying we're a non-denominational church because, well, if you affiliate yourself with a denomination, then you immediately put yourself on the same level as church that have these scandals and these affairs and these fill in the blank. Well, if we're different from that, then maybe we won't be associated with that. And I hear this quite a bit. This isn't what God had in mind when he instituted the church or what we see in scripture. This isn't what God had in mind. This is not why God created the church. This is what it was for. And we don't see this in scripture either. Part one of that statement, I agree. I do. Part two, I disagree. <laughs> we see that a lot actually. So let me first of all, let me first of all introduce you to the church in Corinth. My goodness. If you like the book 1 Corinthians, it's because you like messes. You like churches that got into a whole lot of trouble and messed up church in a variety of forms and fashions. Now, Paul had some incredible writings here. 1 Corinthians 13, the love, the love chapter. There are secular universities that still teach that chapter because of how beautifully written it is. And yet, throughout most of the letter to the Corinthians, we see a number of things. They had uh, verses, chapter 1, verses 10 through 17 of 1 Corinthians. They had problems of division. There was a group saying, well, I follow Apollos. And there's a group saying, well, I follow Paul. And then a group saying, I follow Timothy. And Paul saying, does it matter? Just because you listen more to one person than the other, we're all preaching about the same person, Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, you're wrong. Straight up. It does not matter who you are a student of. It does not make you better or worse than anyone else. What matters is that you follow Christ. So stop bragging about who you follow. In addition to this, uh, chapter 5. I'm not going to go a whole lot into details because of how many kids are here. But if you want to read about something that, like, Paul just goes straight into it. That there was an affair with uh, some people within that church. An affair that was taking place, but not only that in chapter 5. The people who were having the affair were going to the rest of the church and bragging about it. And Paul sitting there like, you've got to be kidding me. This is not at all what you were taught. Continuing on, if you go to chapter 6, there, were, there was one believer and another believer who did not agree with each other, and so they decided to sue one another, and they took it to the public courts. Then so Paul said, let me get this straight. You want people to come and be a part of our community, and yet two people within that community are suing each other publicly. Why in the world would those non-believers that you're taking your lawsuit to want to join this community? And goes on and on, like... I, 
the whole idea is for you to be united, and yet this is literally the opposite. Chapter 7, there were people who were struggling with, well, is this okay in marriage? Is that okay in marriage? And Paul's like, what did I tell you while I was with you? Chapter 10, spiritual hospitality, because there were people saying, you know, I'm having a hard time with, with certain things that these people are doing. I don't know that that's right. And those people doing them saying, I, it's not wrong. Scripture specifically teach against it, so it's fine. And Paul's saying, if you really love the people within your church and it's bothering them, if you really love them, you'll stop. Because we don't want to create an atmosphere that causes these other people to struggle and to stumble in their faith. Instead, we want to build one another up. And in chapter 11, when he talks about communion, at the beginning of this discussion where he, where he talks about communion, he starts it off with, I have nothing nice to say about you because I know what you're doing. And what they were doing was simple. The people who were wealthier, who were doing really well life, who were well off, they were hosting church in their home and they would take communion before the less fortunate could get to their home because they didn't want people to see them eating with poor people. And Paul calls them out. And their response is, well, we're just like, we're just like really hungry right now. So could we go ahead and eat? And Paul said, I know how much money you have. I know it's not about hunger. If that's a big deal to you, then eat before. Because the meal itself, what it's about is being together, not about actually being filled and fed. One, two, three, four, five, six different issues that Paul spends a large portion of his letter to the Corinthians saying, y'all have a lot of things that y'all have got to work on. I didn't cover everything. Those are just specific circumstances. Here's the other good part about messy churches. They're not the only one. First Corinthians is not just a single case study of what they're struggling with. If you look in Galatians 3, the church in Galatia had gone over and said, we, we want to start this church because we want to give our lives to Jesus Christ. And when they do that, they say, great, Paul shows them this new law to follow. And right after Paul leaves, they say, okay, that old law, let's go back to that. Because they had a lot of people there in that area telling, no, 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 this, this old law, the law of Moses is what to follow. Paul in Galatians 3 says, what, what did I share with you? Well, I was with you. It's like you gave your life to Christ and then ungave it immediately after I left. And it, the list goes on and on. In Revelation, Paul calls out like five churches in the book of Revelation. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, the church in Ephesus had fallen out of love with God. Chapter 2, 14 through 16, the church in Pergamum and Thyatira had embraced false teaching. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the church in Sardis had a dead faith. Revelation 3, 15 through 18, the church in Laodicea had a lukewarm faith. Man, church is messy. That's, uh, what, eight, nine churches that the New Testament, not Old Testament, nation of Israel, but New Testament, where writers and, and, and people in God call out these churches and say, this is not Okay. This is not what God had written out. This is not what God had designed for the church. And yet, the whole story of the gospel is that God loved us so much 
knowing that we would live the life that we would live, the sins that we would commit, the horrible reputation that we would give church and said, and I love you anyway, and I'm still gonna give my son for you. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul writes a little bit about the husband and wife relationship. And usually we'll take this passage of scripture and and use it to talk about, see, here's what a good godly marriage should look like. And that's true. That is a great example. But when Paul starts that area of writing, the first thing he says is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul also says, don't ever think you are better than anyone else, but be submissive out of love and reference for Jesus Christ. And then following that, when he talks about husband and wife relationships, he said, the husband should love the wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I think back on all this mess. Think about the mess that maybe you have experienced whether it be here at Cinco Ranch, because Cinco Ranch is a special place, but it's not without our own faults. One of uh, my pastor friends, when I was talking about some stuff I was struggling with at a previous church I worked at, he said, you know, we talk about how messed up churches are. He said, there is one like straightforward way how to fix all these problems that exist within any congregation. I got really excited. I was like, oh, sweet, what do you do? He said, remove every single person from the church. All of them, including yourself, kick everybody out. Because that's the whole problem with churches is they're way too full of people. And as a result, we see a mess that takes place. And so what if when we look at church family, instead of us being people who said, you see, we are called above this and we are better than this and we are above this and we don't struggle with this like that church does or like that church does. But instead, if we were decided to be people who said... Yeah, I contributed to the mess. That was me. I'm part of the problem. But guess what? I serve a risen Savior who is the solution. And he's willing to enter into my challenges. He's willing to enter into my faults. He's willing to enter into my struggles. We started off this series looking at a story from the book of Hosea. If you don't remember it, Hosea was a prophet, prophet of God, who in the Old Testament, God said, Hosea, I want you to go and marry a prostitute named Gomer, and she's going to leave you. She is going to cheat on you. She is going to go back into prostitution after you marry her. Now, according to Mosaic law, a woman who would get married and then go and cheat on her husband was by law to be stoned publicly by, you know, everyone. And God said, she's going to leave you. She's going to cheat on you. But instead of stoning her to death, I want you to publicly forgive her and take her back. And when people ask, why are you doing this? Why did you marry her the first time, let alone the second? I want you to tell them because God wants you to know that you, Israel, as a nation, have given yourself over to everyone else but him. And yet he is still going to take you back. You know, I think something that makes church family so special is how many times growing up that I did just some epically stupid things. Some of it was just dumb, just in general. 
Um, some of it was like bad, like not good, not proud of at all. You know the difference where you look ashamed at some of those stories and the other ones you kind of laugh. You're like, I wouldn't do that again, but it was funny at the time. I did both. And I'll tell you who I'm grateful for is all those people who watched me say and do epically stupid things and yet loved me anyway. Who didn't say what you're doing is okay, just that we'll be here when you figure out how much you've messed up and we're going to love you through it anyway. So as a part of this, uh, praise team, if y'all want to come on out, you're, you're welcome to do so. We're going to do communion a little different. I mentioned table Sunday and there are not really the tables that are set up. And part of that is we've got a lot of kids here and so there, it might be a little more crowded. But here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Uh, we still have communion in the back if you forgot to grab it. You're welcome to go do that. But something I'm going to invite you to do is this. Um, could we have that, that last uh, slide up with the question? Yeah. So I, I'm going to invite you to do this. Uh, the questions are going to be up on, on the screen. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to when you take your communion, I'd like to invite you um, and, and, and your family, that would be good to do, and your family to go and search out someone here in this room this morning whom you are grateful to be doing church family with, whom you're willing to acknowledge it's been messy at times, and do communion with them. And one of the questions I put up there is, I want you to share why do you want to do communion with that person? And maybe you're sitting here like, I'm pretty new, like I just got here, and that's okay. One thing I'm going to also invite you to do is, if you're new, if you're visiting, use this as an opportunity to shoot a text to someone who's been a part of your formation journey from a church in the past. And maybe if it's new, say, here's what I'm excited for the future of our church together. But what I'm going to invite is, is to share, here's why I'm so grateful that I'm doing church and life here with you. In light of all my failures and struggles, you've led me through it, and I would love to do the same for you. And in addition to it, the second question is along the lines of what's holding me back from entering into that same type of communion experience with someone who's not just not a part of this church, but outside the faith altogether. Because we have people in our lives who they, they don't have faith. This church, like, you yeah, know, they seem okay, but I'm not sure. What, what's holding you back? What might God be inviting you into to help those people experience church, whether it be here or, or at another place of faith? So if you would mind, let's stand. Feel free at this point to just take a look around the room and be like, who do I want to do communion with? Maybe make eye contact with somebody and you just know, right? You just know, this is who I want to do communion with. There are no wrong answers here. Everyone is, yes, that would be wonderful. What I will ask is that when you choose someone, please make sure that you pick people that you're willing to share with. If you're not willing to share with that person, maybe pick somebody else. But the whole idea is community in communion. And so during this time, the questions are up there, but take communion, then have that open conversation. Why you're grateful to do communion with them and what might God be inviting you to, to engage the rest of the community. Go ahead, let's share. Let's have that time together.